KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon, hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Monday, July 12th. The State Reparations Task Force and Community Engagement. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. San Diego County health officials say they're seeing an uptick of COVID-19 cases, but that that's expected with restrictions being lifted. They're urging everyone who isn't vaccinated yet to go get the shot. They say it's the only way to prevent the more contagious Delta variant from spreading. If you haven't gotten your second dose yet, well, Health and Human Services Dr. Eric McDonald says one shot really won't protect you from the new variant. Ideally, you want to get it on time, but even if it's been a month, two months, four months uh, since that first shot, getting that second shot, you don't have to restart. You just need to get that second shot. Health officials say the East County and rural parts of the North County are where vaccination rates are the lowest. Meanwhile, if your child is headed back to school this fall, state health officials say they will have to wear a mask. That's despite new guidance from the CDC on Friday that says they don't need to wear a mask inside. California Health and Human Services Secretary Dr. Mark Galley says not all schools can accommodate physical distancing of at least three feet or more, so the best preventative measure is wearing masks inside. Just as recall efforts were gaining momentum, Corey Schumacher resigned from the Carlsbad City Council on Friday. In a written statement, Schumacher says she'll be taking on an opportunity she simply can't refuse and will be attending a university outside of San Diego. Schumacher was facing a recall effort organized by Reform California because of her plan to find businesses that reopened during the pandemic. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon, hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. California is the first state in the nation to convene a statewide task force on reparations for African Americans. They met up on Friday, and KPBS Race and Equity reporter Christina Kim says community engagement is a key to their efforts. The task force grappled with how they will target their community engagement efforts. In other words, who must they talk to over the next two years as they come up with reparations proposals? Vice Chair Dr. Amos Brown says they must center black Americans first and foremost. The people who are the subject of the offense of racism and injustice are the community. Lisa Holder is a task force member and a lawyer from Los Angeles. She agrees that black Americans that are descendants from chattel slavery must be prioritized. But she thinks the work of the task force extends to everyone. And I think it's very important to define the community broadly so that people feel involved in that healing process. So that as a broader multicultural community, 
we can come out of this restorative process more enlightened and prepared for true, authentic reconciliation. San Diego City Council member Monica Montgomery Stepp is our local representative on the task force. She says task force members have to be on the same page about community engagement to make any of their proposals a reality. Community is going to play a big role in getting whatever we present across the finish line. The task force made a small but important step regarding community input. They voted to move public comment to the beginning of all their future meetings and give speakers up to three minutes. We're dealing with the people who have been excluded. So why do we have to be like the old system? The task force is scheduled to meet again in September, where they will hear testimonies from both experts and community members, as well as public comment. And that was KPBS Race and Equity reporter Christina Kim. Protests continued on Friday over a new contract for doctors and nurses at Palomar Health Center in Escondido. Protesters say the new contract would give doctors less time with patients, but the hospital says that's not true. KPBS North County multimedia producer Alexander Wynn has the latest. Repeal or resign! Citizens to Save Palomar Health is composed of doctors, nurses, community members, and staff. They say the new contract with Emergent Medical Associates, or EMA, would impact patient care. The bond that they've made, for instance, with trauma, the trauma surgeons trust the physicians that they have right now that when they are taking care of the medical part of their care that their patients will have good outcomes and i'm very concerned that those outcomes are not going to be good if you bring a whole new group of physicians in the group believes the primary motivation for changing providers is to save money not to improve patient care the group also claims there was a lack of transparency over the new contract the alleged board members may have violated the Brown Act by holding informal discussions. The Brown Act forbids public agencies such as Palomar Health from such informal discussions. When asked about the allegations, Palomar Health officials refused to comment. Ken Lounsbury is the lawyer for Citizens to Save Palomar. He sent a letter to Palomar Health's board warning them of the alleged Brown Act violation. He's asking the board to rescind the vote for the new contract. It is a claim based upon facts provided to us that seriata meetings took place, uh, that meetings behind closed doors uh, were conducted, uh, that board members were convinced individually. In an email to staff obtained by KPPS dated July 7th, Palomar Health CEO Diane Hansen says, patient care is the top priority. Anything else to the contrary is false. The hospital has also said any savings will pay for new equipments such as CT scanners and MRI machines. And that was KPBS's Alexander Wynn reporting from Escondido. It's something we've heard from so many public leaders over the years. Something finally needs to be done to end homelessness in San Diego. What is happening in downtown is wholly unacceptable for the residents and for the businesses of this community but most especially for the people who are living unsheltered in encampments along our sidewalks. 
That was San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria just a few weeks ago announcing a $100 million partnership with the city and the county. That money is being spent to get people into shelters starting in the downtown area. So, how's it going? And how is the effort any different from work done in the past? And more importantly, will it work? KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman checked in with those doing the one-on-one outreach required for this delicate and personal work. He spoke with KPBS's Claire Tregesser on the roundtable. Here's that interview. So let's start with your initial impression this week. Did you see any noticeable improvement of the situation downtown? You know, it's it's definitely hard to tell. And we sort of asked that to the Housing Commission, who is coordinating this outreach, you know, among nonprofits, uh, city workers, um, and also, you know, county health nurses. Um, and they said over the first week, so this is a month long coordinated outreach, and they normally do outreach in downtown, but really stepping up their efforts in a number of key areas. And they said in that first week, they saw just under 140 people get admitted to shelters. Now, shelters are just one piece of this kind of the first piece of getting people some sort of housing. Um, and they say majority of that came from this downtown push. Okay. And then you talked with a representative from PATH, one of the many groups involved in this outreach work. And what did they have to say about this latest effort? You know, they said that, that there's a lot of people that are taking advantage of resources. And when we say resources, you know, they're focusing on a, on a couple different areas of downtown, you know, the East Village, the Gaslamp District, and the city center. And within that, they sort of have like the central hub that has a number of services, like things like Medicaid, County Behavioral Health Services, um, also tents there to try to get people into shelter. And they sort of move that around. And they said it's been very successful, right? Because some people, um, you know, it can take a number of touches to try to get somebody to accept even just like shelter in terms of getting them in a shelter tonight. You know, they say that that's fairly easy. But then there's other small wins where maybe it's, you know, somebody doesn't know that they have access to Medicaid or Medicare and they can get some income, or maybe they need a driver's license to be able to apply for some of this housing and they can give them a voucher, maybe even take them to the DMV. So uh, some of those little wins are happening. And also they are saying that they are getting more people into shelter. Um, But it's nice because we have, you know, coordinated outreach efforts in the past, but usually it's like one or two of these big events a year where they have all these providers in one location. Um, So having these sort of mini mobile command centers, um, they say it has been working. And the improving COVID-19 situation is part of the reason why this work is even possible right now. So how did the loosening of restrictions allow this push to begin? Right. So we're obviously still in the pandemic, but restrictions are being uh, relaxed, especially for people who are vaccinated. Um, And the shelters were were definitely hit by this. You know, it's still an area where people have to mask up inside shelters. Um, You know, many were operating at 50% capacity. That's like some of these bridge shelters that that you see around the city, the big sprung up tent shelters, but also permanent shelters. Um, And they're now scaling up capacity, you know, working their way to 100%. There are some challenges there, you know, the staffing shortage, it's not just hitting restaurants. uh, It's it's also hitting, you know, the, the, this, this, industry as well, too. Um, so they're scaling up there. By scaling up there, they say we have beds available. You know, um, you talk to people like PATH and they say outreach is one piece of it. You know, you can send workers out, um, but if you don't have the shelter beds, um, then then you're missing a whole piece there. But they say that they have the shelter beds. Now they just have to try to get people to accept that first step of help there. And part of your story includes a man who says he chose to be homeless. Here's a couple comments from Montel Blake about his situation. I don't have no complaints. I don't have no complaints because I, I chose to be homeless, and uh, even though it's hard to get up out of that whole situation, it's nobody's responsibility but mine. I got a couple of issues about being around groups, about being around, uh, being too close to people. Not that I don't want to accept help, 
is that um, why get in the way when somebody can use it better than me? Right. So he's saying there that he has issues being in a shelter where he's close close to people. And so how does an experience like his illustrate just how complex of an issue this is? It's not simply about people desperate for shelter, right? Exactly. Just to give you some background there, uh, before we talked to Montel, um, we were just happening to be going downtown um, to try to speak with some people with PATH who were involved in this effort. And we just happened to roll up um, on an encampment cleanup along National Avenue. And, you know, some people think that the encampment cleanups aren't happening. They are still happening. That's where they go up and they put up those three hour signs um, and they say, hey, you have three hours to basically get your stuff and move it out of here because then they roll in um, with a dump truck um, and they roll in with like street sweeping crews and they move everything out of there. So this gentleman, Montel, he was moving a lot of stuff. I mean, basically like his, his, his whole life, his whole home. Um, and he was moving it to another block, but you know, we asked him straight up, you know, if they said to you today, Hey, we have a shelter bed for you. Would you want to go into it? And he said, you know, no. And that's something that housing officials, homelessness officials are very aware of that. A lot of people, you know, may not be trusting right away. They may not want to live in, in that group setting. You know, we talked to another gentleman uh, out there the other day during this cleanup, but he was having to move a lot of stuff, literally grabbing stuff out of the dump truck right before they, they, they crushed it. Um, he was, saying that he thinks that the shelters are, are too restrictive in terms of um, having some of these curfews where you have to be in by. Some of the people who are living out there, they just, you know, want a lot of freedom. Now, there are some other barriers in place too, you know, um, in terms of, you know, using alcohol, use some people using drugs. You can't do that inside of a shelter. Um, and part of this push, you know, this is the first month of, of just trying to reach out to people, see what their needs are, see if they can get them into shelter right away. But then the second part of this, like the phase two where the county comes into play, is the city's looking to identify a, a shelter that can help people with severe substance abuse disorders. And then county health nurses, behavioral health nurses will be staffing that. And they also want to, uh, the housing commission who's coordinating this says that they want to hear from people about maybe what some of the barriers are to going to a shelter uh, and see if they can, you know, sort of change some of that maybe in this new shelter that's a city county partnership. Is there any enforcement being considered for people who want to continue living outdoors? Definitely. Um, and when we're seeing, when we, we, and I guess when we say enforcement, we're talking about these en encampment cleanups. Um, but it, it's sort of interesting because it's sort of like a shuffle of moving things around. The one gentleman we talked to said, days like this, when, when we have to move our stuff, maybe we've been here for a month, we know we have like a, a little tent encampment set up. They're, they're very hard days. But he also said that it's part of the game. It's part of being homeless in San Diego. You sort of get used to it. Um, and, and just anecdotally, you know, it, those are very tough days, a lot of emotions flying around. People are, are very upset. There was one woman who, you know, clearly disabled. She had a lot of stuff, but but there's definitely a community down there. And basically what a lot of these people are doing is they're grabbing their stuff and they're moving it to another block because that block, you know, maybe isn't getting hit today. It's not being an encampment cleanup. So they're able to move some of their stuff and then the city crews come in there and they, and they sort of clean up. And Mayor Todd Gloria said this hyper-focused effort will last a few weeks. How will they measure if it's been successful? I think that there's a couple different measurements there. And I asked this to the housing commission, you know, the sort of big overarching goals is they want to see people get into shelter, but not necessarily get into shelter. You know, some people, they may have signed up for a voucher, um, but maybe they don't have access to email and they don't know that, you know, Hey, you, you signed up for this six months ago. And we actually, we have an apartment ready for you to go into. Um, so that would be like an exit to housing. Uh, potentially another wins could be, you know, people that maybe need to go into like a nursing home or some sort of, you know, more longer term or higher ac ac acuity care. But then also like what I touched on earlier, there's some small, 
smaller wins. Combating homeless isn't something that, that happens overnight, especially when we talk about people who are, are, are chronic homeless, people who are living on the streets, they don't want to go into a shelter. So that's some, making some of those small touches, some of those small connections where even if it's just giving them a cup of coffee, giving them some food uh, to start building that trust. But then some of the other small things like maybe getting them signed up for Medicare, getting them, uh, helping them get a new driver's license so that they can try to sign up for some of these programs, even getting them vaccinated. Part of these small command centers, there's county health nurses, they're delivering COVID-19 vaccinations. So, you know, you could say from a public health perspective, you know, it's a win if we get more of our most vulnerable vaccinated. So uh, there's a couple of different measurements there, but, you know, they want to get people into shelter, into some sort of housing. That's the overarching goal. And downtown isn't the only part of San Diego where help is needed. Is there a plan to take this approach elsewhere? And if so, what locations might be next? So right, right, right now, you know, this big push, you know, we're a little over a weekend into this month long push is centered around downtown. And you might be asking yourself why that is. Well, that's where a large concentration of people who are homeless are. And we, you know, we have these outreach workers going out there on a regular basis. They sort of have it broken up into districts, but they're, you know, doubling down, tripling down, quadrupling down on their efforts to try to reach these people. You know, I'm unsure if it's going to be moved somewhere next, but just talking to some of the, the outreach workers that are doing this, you know, they really like the idea of, you know, sort of traveling around with this mobile command center where, you know, instead of having to, you know, call over a county health nurse to come meet them out somewhere, which, you know, can take some time, uh, they can just bring them to this one central location, get them a meal, maybe get them signed up for some services. So I think that people would like to see it happen elsewhere. But keep in mind too, you know, these programs cost money, you know, they need buy-in from local communities, local jurisdictions. So, you know, it's happening in the city of San Diego, happening downtown, uh, but it remains to be seen if it can be duplicated somewhere else. And that was KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman speaking with KPBS's Claire Tregesser on The Roundtable. Coming up, the Biden administration is fighting a California law in court that aims to end for-profit immigration detention. But that's something President Joe Biden himself pledged to do. That story's next, just after the break. I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. President Joe Biden has pledged to end for-profit immigration detention, but that's what California aims to do with state law AB 32. Lawmakers say these detention facilities are major health risks, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic. 71 people died at ICE centers between 2011 and 2018. That's according to a new University of Southern California report that found that detention center staff violated federal medical standards in more 
more than three-quarters of the deaths. Lisa Knox is the legal director for the California Collaborative for Immigration Justice. You know, this is a long-standing issue, which during COVID, I think, is sort of been exacerbated, right? We've long known that detention is unsafe and that, in particular, the medical and, and mental health services that are provided in detention facilities are, are inadequate. But in the meantime, the Biden administration is fighting AB 32 in court. KQED's Fariha Javala Romero has more on the legal challenge. AB 32 bans private companies from operating detention centers after the contracts with U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement expire. The Trump administration sued California to invalidate the law a few days after it went into effect in January 2020. But if AB 32 survives in court, it could transform the way ICE does business, not just here, but nationwide, says State Attorney General Rob Bonta, who authored the laws and assemblyman. It was always the hope that others would replicate what California has done and also ban for-profit private prisons and detention centers, which are inhumane, unjust, unsafe, unfair. California argues that private detention facilities pose, quote, an unacceptable danger to detainees and that the state has the right to regulate industries within its borders. But nearly all ICE detainees in California are held at for-profit facilities, and the federal government says AB 32 interferes with its authority to do immigration enforcement. Here's attorney Mark Stern with the U.S. Department of Justice at a court hearing last month. The Supreme Court, this court, and other courts have all held that restrictions on the government's ability to carry out its operations using contractors are impermissible when they are far less intrusive than this case. Southern California Congresswoman Norma Torres says it's time for the Biden administration to drop the lawsuit against AB 32. It's important for us as legislators uh, representing a state of you know, California to stand up for the wishes of our state. She and two dozen other members of Congress wrote to the U.S. Attorney General to say pursuing that lawsuit goes against Biden's stated goal. At a rally in Georgia to mark his first 100 days in office, Biden addressed protesters in the crowd and repeated his campaign pledge. There should be no private prisons, period. None, period. That's what they're talking about, private detention centers. They should not exist, and we are working to close all of them. Meanwhile, the Biden administration has requested nearly $2 billion from Congress to keep the immigration detention system pretty much intact. That worries Jackie Gonzalez with Immigrant Defense Advocates in Sacramento. His decision to side with private prison companies won by continuing to pursue Trump's litigation against the state of California and two, failing to like make good on his campaign promises are, is something that no one is going to forget. And he has the opportunity to reverse course. But thus far, his behavior has been a betrayal. Congresswoman Torres and State Attorney General Bonta say they hope the Biden administration will work with California on this one and consider alternatives to jailing immigrants for the civil violation of not having valid papers. These are civil cases. and. Uh, folks don't need to be detained at all. They can um, come to all of their hearings and, and go through whatever process is part of their individualized case uh, without being 
uh, detained and without uh, taxpayers wasting resources on locking people up in cages. An ICE spokesperson says the agency won't comment on litigation, but that ICE needs operational flexibility to house people in its custody. The White House and the U.S. Department of Justice did not return requests for comment. That was KQED's Fariha Javala-Romero reporting. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check it out on the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.